Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to, um, I love these, all these young people up on the platform leading us in worship today. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name's John Ireland. Uh, Thanks for being with us, Ocean Hills Church. I was at uh, just not going to mention any names, but I I was at CS, the CS Lewis uh, thing at the Granada yesterday, and I have a very close friend who uh, was sitting front row center at CS Lewis, but this morning, I'm like, how come you're not front row center when I'm speaking? Where are, where are you, buddy? I'm, like, I'm not going to point you out, but uh, we'll talk later. All right. Hey, church, 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 church. This is a spiritual family. Ocean Hills is a spiritual family. And why, here's a question for you. Why do you go, where do you go to church? Where are you, why are you here? Why'd you show up this morning? I actually was thinking about uh, why, if, if I take off my pastor's hat as a person, as a follower of Jesus, there's a lot of reasons we uh, attend church. A lot of reasons we go to church. I'm not sure why you attend church, but I was thinking, I come to this place to remember who God is. You know, the Old Testament is all about remember, remember, remember. And so we gather to remember the song we just sang. We're remembering who God is, how good God is, how big God is, how close God is, how loving, how kind God is. Uh, So we come to remember. We also come, I think, to return to God. I have weeks where I'm like, I I come into this place feeling far from God. Kind of been willful in some of my choices. And so I come into this place and it's a way that I come back home to God. Maybe even, it's a big word, repent, which just simply means to return to God. If I'm walking this way away from God, repent means to turn around and return back to God, to recommit myself to walk in his ways, to become the person that he dreams for me to become. I come into this place to receive God's grace, God's new morning mercies, God's truth in his word, God's love through his people. So there's a whole lot of reasons. I'm not sure what brought you here this morning. But I do want to say on the front end, I think this is the space. In this wonderful Marjorie Luke Theater, this is the space where spiritual commitments are made. This is the space where divine appointments actually happen. That through singing, maybe a song, maybe a lyric, a line in a song, your, your heart starts kind of racing as in this feeling, this sense of God is 
doing something right now, right here in this moment while I'm singing. He's speaking to me. And maybe it's through the scripture and the sermon. It might be through a conversation with someone you had before or after church. But, but when we gather here, we're listening for God's voice. We're receiving his grace. And we're making spiritual commitments. I just want to be clear about that. This is the place, I was just talking to a friend of mine, Steve Beck, who I, a uh, very close friend of mine, this new movie, The Jesus Revolution, that uh, so many of you have seen and uh, are raving about. Steve reminded me, when we were in high school, we went to that Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa Church, and that's where he went forward and made a commitment to Christ in that church that's, that, that, that's part of that whole story in history. And so this morning, um, I want to bring us to God's word, John chapter 18, and uh, hopefully it's light enough in this space that if you brought a Bible, you can open it. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, we have the words on the screen. Today's gonna be a little more of a Bible study, more than an inspirational talk. I, uh, I just, I have such uh, joy in my life during the week when I get to just kind of simmer. That's kind of the word I, I, I use. I simmer in a passage all week, and I study it with a couple of different groups of guys that I meet with, and then I get to share with you reflections. And today, um, John chapter 18, um, maybe I could say this, um, last week we were in John 13. So what's happened between John 13 and John 18? Well, John 13 to 17 is known as the farewell discourse. It's, it's kind of the last final words of Jesus that are recorded in those chapters. And then you'll, you'll notice chapter 18 begins, and I'll read it for us. Uh, after saying these things, well, what things? Well, John chapter 13, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And so after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers. Scholars say that could be between 200 and 2,000 soldiers that show up. He'd given him a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. And now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Verse 4, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more, he asked, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene, I told you that I am he. And since I'm the one that you want, let these others go. 
And he did this to fulfill his own statement, I did not lose a single one of those you've given me. Verse 10, and then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering that the Father has given me? Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering? So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just think about what John's doing in this passage. It feels like the whole gospel of John is Jesus. Jesus is, is, we are reminded that he's the son of God over and over through his own proclamation, his own sayings about himself. I am, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of, I am. But also through the miracles, he's got power over death, over nature, over sickness, and it just seems like John, the, the whole gospel is, he's building this case to remind us, to show us, to reveal to us that Jesus is who he said he was. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. And John chapter 18 takes kind of this interesting turn. And it just is interesting to me that this almighty, all-powerful Jesus now gets arrested. And notice his response to his arrest. What do you notice? He's passive. He's weak. He doesn't fight back. He doesn't protest. He doesn't pull out his sword. He seems, it feels like Jesus is weak. And if you're Judas, you deceived him, got away with it, you betrayed him. I think from Judas's perspective, Jesus seems weak. And the disciples, we've put our hope in you. We're your closest friends. We trusted you. You were coming to take over your kingdom. And now this is how you respond. You surrender. No, this is not the way this story is supposed to go. And I think from their perspective, Jesus seems weak. And if Jesus seems weak, then God is weak. And I just wonder if from your perspective, if you have felt in your story or maybe even today, currently in your story, that from where you sit, Jesus seems weak. God seems weak. I mean, look at the world with all its brokenness, hatred, violence. Where's God? In all the pain, in all the hurt, where is he? I mean, if he was all powerful and all loving, he would do something about it, wouldn't he? And maybe from your perspective, somebody died of cancer way too early. 
you have a child that is just struggling and you're praying your heart out and it's not getting better, it's actually getting worse. And from where you sit this morning, maybe if you were honest, you'd say, God seems weak. Feels like Jesus is weak. So what do we do with that? I think as people of God, followers of Jesus, we have to wrestle with that. I mean, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, The Problem of Pain, because it is a problem. How do we deal with our world not living into its potential, being such a, a hard place for so many? And so this morning, I want us to dig deeper into this. And I, and I kind of am, am, am thinking about why do I worship Jesus? Why do I follow Jesus? Why do we say here on the platform week after week after week, he's bigger than you think, he's better than you think, God is good all the time, really? God is good all the time, really? Yeah, God is good all the time, God is good, he's bigger, he's better than you think, he's closer than you think. Why do we say that? I think this story kind of points to a few different reasons why we can say, yes, I trust God. And here's the first. Jesus is unstoppable. Notice in this passage how poised he is. Complete composure. In control. I mean, last week, John 13, we read that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And now here in John 18, verse 2, we read that Judas knew this garden was where Jesus spent lots of time. Now let me ask you, if you knew you were going to be betrayed, would you go to the place that was kind of the most obvious place that your betrayers would find you? No. If I knew I was going to be betrayed, I'm hiding. I'm running. I'm, or I'm going the other way, and I'm fighting, and I'm protesting, and I'm standing up for myself. But that's not what Jesus did. Verse 4, it tells us that Jesus fully realized what was going to happen. You might want to underline that in your Bible. And then these next words you really want to underline. He says, it says, and what did he do? He, knew, he realized what was going to happen. He fully realized it. And it says he stepped forward. Stepped forward toward them. Stepped forward to meet them. Stepped forward into his calling. Stepped forward into the life that the Father had called him to live, to be the savior of the world, stepped forward into this moment of being arrested, flogged, tortured, and ultimately crucified. Why? What's going on? Why would he do that? Why would anybody do that unless there's more going on in the story? And let me tell you, there is more going on in the story. Did you notice the dialogue? 
when Jesus discovers that they're looking for him, he asks them, who are you looking for? And where do they say? Jesus of Nazareth. And, and, and what's his response? I am he. But John wants us to know. Jesus is in that moment saying, I'm, yeah, I'm he. You're the, I'm the one you're looking for. But the way John writes it, I am all caps. To Moses in the burning bush, how did God reveal himself to Moses back in the Old Testament? I am. I am. And three times in here, ego ime, I am. And notice the response in verse 6 of the soldiers. They fall back to the ground. And that's the response that people had in the Old Testament. When they were in the presence of God, they fell back in the ground in the presence of I am. And now here we are in the presence of Jesus. He says, I am he. And the soldiers fall to the ground in awe. There is something different about this person, this man. So what's going on? Why is he so composed? Why can he... Why is he able to be so poised in this moment of his arrest? It's because he's the Lord God Almighty. He is in complete control. He fully realized what was going to happen to him. He's actually choosing to be in this moment for you and for me. And it might look like he's weak, and it might look like he's passive, but he knows what he's doing. And maybe before I move on to the next point, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss Jesus' response to Peter. It's right here. His, Peter responds with this kind of violent overreaction, maybe not over. Some of you might say, that actually is it a appropriate reaction to pull out your sword and chop off a dude's ear. But for those of us who, like Peter, are living in fear that this world isn't the way it's supposed to be, hmm, where am I going with this? For those of us who, like Peter, are living in fear that this isn't the way the world's supposed to go. We want to power up and we want to pull out our sword and it seems appropriate at times, but notice what you notice. What does Jesus say to Peter? Put your sword away. Put your sword away. I can't tell you how many times in the last three years with all the Frickin' crazy, chaotic, political stuff going on as a pastor. How many times my critics have pointed out one passage of Scripture with their anger? And it's not this one. Jesus flipped over the tables. Jesus, we got to do that. You got to be bold. Put your sword away, pal. Quote this to me. Put your sword away. We're not quoting that one. 
And that's what we do as Christians sometimes. We, we, we pick the verses to, to, to fit our political agenda. But I'm reading right here the red, and Jesus says, put your sword away. And sometimes my words can be a sword. Sometimes your words can be a sword. It's not just a literal. It can also be the way we talk about others. And it's just interesting to me, right here in the New Testament, there's just so much more to the story. And you know, don't miss this point. Jesus says, put your sword away, and guess what? Things are gonna actually get worse for Jesus rather than better. Put your sword away, and you think, oh, it's gonna get better, I put my sword away. Look at, oh, wait a minute, what is happening? He's getting beat up. Wait, this is not how the story goes. Oh, wait, he's being flogged. Wait a minute, this isn't how. And sometimes, folks, when we follow Jesus, things don't get better immediately. They actually can get worse. But will you trust him? Will I trust him? Will I trust that he knows what he's doing, that there's more to the story than meets the eye? So that's my first reflection. Jesus is unstoppable. He's poised, composed, and in complete control. The second thing I want you to notice is he's undeterred in living life for the sake of others. Four words make this obvious to me. He's facing one of the greatest challenges any human being. He's being arrested, but he knows it's not just I'm being falsely arrested and accused, but now I'm going to get spit on, punched in the face. My beard's going to be torn on. I'm gonna, they're going to put a crown of thorns on me. They're going to flog me and whip me, and they're going to hang me on a cross. And in the midst of that, he's thinking about his friends. Four words. Let these men go. What? Who's thinking of others in that moment? Jesus. He knew they would abandon him after this. He knew that they were disappointed in him. And yet he says, let these men go. So many challenges, so stressed out, up against it, and yet, knowing they would abandon him, and yet, still looking out for them, and yet, I mean, he's looking and living beyond himself for the sake of others. Are you, ca are you catching this? Just sit in that truth, that reality that Jesus is bigger, Jesus is better, so much better than you think. He came to this earth to live for the sake of others all through his life and even in those last days and even in those last moments and even on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Always thinking of others. I love this quote by Dane Ortland. He's one of my favorite authors right now. I have people that think he's, his critics are like, he's too much grace. Well, Philip Yancey says, 
you know, grace is scandalous and it's offensive. And if you're not offended by grace, you don't get it. So listen to what Dane Ortland says here. Our tendency is to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. As we sink further into pain, we sink further into felt isolation. And the Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. Let me say that again. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. We're never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and now shouldered by him in the present. He's thinking about you. He's shouldering your pain with you. Whatever it is you're going through right now, suffering, whatever hardship, obstacle, he's shouldering that with you. Here's a question I asked myself this week, so I'm gonna ask you. Is it possible is it possible that I have become overly consumed with my own pain and my own challenges that I've become blind to the hardships of my family and my friends? Let me say it again. Another way to say it is, have I become so self-absorbed? Poor me. Have I become a victim in a way? Like, all I think about is me and how hard my life is. You know how hard it is to be a pastor these days? And do you know how, you know? And I'm blind to the most important people in my life, to what's going on in their life and their pain and their hardship and their fears and how I can be present and be a support and be there and be listening That's the Savior. I mean, Jesus models it for us. Here he is. He has, we, we would say about Jesus, we would, we, we would give him a break in this moment. We'd say, it's cool, bro. You don't need to think about us right now with what you're facing, right? We'd understand. We'd like, hey, I get it. You can't be there for me in this moment. And yet, read the story. He lived his life for the sake of others. It's just so powerful to me. Challenges me to get beyond myself, get over myself, get over. It, my pain's real, my heartache, my hardship's real, and yet I can't just stay in it. I gotta let God use that to help me be better, to help me be a better shepherd, pastor, friend, husband, dad, all of it. All right, last reflection. And it's just simply that Jesus is uncompromising in his commitment to the mission. Raise your hand if you've ever quit something and quit in the middle of something. You quit a puzzle, raise your hand. You quit a book halfway through, raise your hand. You quit a diet, raise your hand. You made a commitment to work out 2023, 20, three days a week, and you've already failed, raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> And I could get more serious. Some of us have quit a marriage. Some of us have quit on our kids. 
and abandon them? Some of us have. You fill in the blank. Not a person in this room that hasn't quit or given up. And this passage just reminds me that Jesus could have given up. This is the moment. It's actually not the cross. This is the moment when the ball kind of begins to really roll. And it's, it's, it's now hours before he's going to die. But it's this moment, the arrest in the garden, where he surrenders to the will of the Father. The other gospel texts say it's where he prays that prayer if there's any way for this cup to pass, yet not my will, but your will be done. This is where we are. And we see his commitment to the mission. And the mission is you. He could have given up when he was arrested. He could have fought back. He could have said, lightning strike down, man, on these soldiers. There were so many unlimited resources at his, in his hand at that moment. He could have called on a legion of angels to say, protect me, help me escape, whatever it is, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it because there's so much more going on in this story. He's committed to the mission and the mission is you. I want you to hear that this morning. Verse 11, shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me. What is that cup? Well, the Old Testament prophets, they point to only one meaning. It's the judgment of God. The cup of God's judgment on human sin. Jesus said, I'll take it upon myself. I'll drink the cup for you. I'll take the judgment that should be on you for your selfishness and sin and willfulness. I'll take it upon myself. One of my favorite quotes, Jesus came not to bring judgment, but to bear judgment. He came not to bring judgment. Some of you were raised, oh my gosh, you better be afraid. God's going to strike you. He's going to judge you. That's not why Jesus came. He came to bear it, take it upon himself, not to bring it. You wonder where that is in the Bible? We'll read John 3. We know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever, and it says, God did not come into the world to condemn he didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you and me and rescue us. Titus chapter 2. He, Jesus, gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. He freed us he forgave us. He cleansed us. Why? To make us his very own people, to make us family. And how does he want us to live? Totally committed to doing good deeds. So let me stop. 
several years ago, I was part of the Covenant Pastors Midwinter Conference, and they asked, they said, we're not going to have any speakers at this total conference. It's going to be four days of prayer. We're just going to pray. And I don't know why, but they asked me to lead one of these prayer groups of like, they broke the conference down into 50 pastors in a, in a room, 40, 50 pastors in a room, and they somehow I got asked to be one of the leaders of a group of 40 or 50. And they trained us on how to lead kind of this prayer movement and prayer meeting and gathering. And one of the things that they shared was, you know, sometimes when, when we're praying, leave room for silence. But then one of the ways you kind of bring energy into that prayer meeting is you, you lead out in song. Like, what you talking about, Willis? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not breaking out in song. They go, yeah, it just, and you know what'll happen? People, you gotta face your fears. You gotta gather your courage. And you gotta just start singing. So I'm leading this prayer meeting. 50 covenant pastors were in this conference room at the Hyatt, Chicago. Praying, it gets quiet, and all of a sudden, and, and they, they promised, once you start singing, everybody will sing around you. Once you start, everybody else will start. So I, it's quiet, I go, okay, Lord. I'm doing this for you, Lord. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality. So I start singing. Crickets. <laughs> Nobody joins me. I get to the end. Well, maybe they know the song now. For I am convinced <laughs> that neither death nor life nor angels nor crickets. Now, why do I tell you that story? It marked me. <laughs> That's why you never see me up here singing. <laughs> It's a moment in my life where I think, you know what? I faced my fears. I am not a singer. But you know what? I thought, I can do this. I want to face my fears. I want to stand for Jesus Christ in that moment. And if nobody sings with me, that's okay. Now, I tell you that story because in this passage, in, in the fourth verse of John 18, in that moment, Jesus stepped forward for you. And I'm going to ask you to step forward by standing up for him. If any of these things apply to you, I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to, we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to ask you to stand for him for this song, for, for one song. And sing. And not everybody has to stand. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're, you know, not super a spiritual Olympian or something if you don't stand. But I believe there are people in this room that there's a divine appointment. Jesus stepped forward into his calling, into the life that God the Father was 
in advance had prepared for him to live, to stand up and be that person, the savior of the world. Now, I believe that Jesus is calling you, every one of you today, to align yourself with him and his purposes. So I just have a list. And you're going to have to face your fears, and I'm facing mine right now. Maybe nobody's going to stand up, and that's fine. Kind of. <laughs> but this is, I, I look back on my life, and there are moments where I stepped forward and I stood up. Not for anybody in the room, but to say, God, I'm for you, I'm with you, and I want, I'm committing to be that person. So here it is. Is God calling you to finally pick up the phone and make that call and initiate a reconciling relationship? to forgive someone, to call them and say, I'm sorry. You know, my wife, we were talking this morning, when she was a teenager, she said, the only conversation I had with my dad was at dinner. Hey, can you pass the butter? And then we got married, she's 25 years old, and she said, the Lord said, pick up the phone, call your dad. So she did. She said, Daddy, I know I haven't been the best daughter, and I know you haven't been the best dad. But you know what? I want that to change. I want our relationship to change. From this point forward, I want us to have a stronger relationship. She picked up the phone. Stand up if that's you today, that you need to pick up the phone. Stand up if God's calling you to, to finally set up that counseling appointment. You've been putting it off going, man, my marriage is a train wreck, or I'm addicted. I'm self-destructive. I don't know what it is. Stand up. If you're going, today's the day I'm going to say, Lord, today my journey begins of healing and recovery. How about is God calling you to, to finally take that step forward and stand up to begin a relationship with Jesus? You're a churchgoer, but you haven't taken that step of saying, Jesus, I want to begin my relationship with you. Stand up. How about for those of you that God is calling you to get out of? He's actually not calling you into, he's calling you out of an abusive relationship, a toxic relationship. You've been sitting there in a relationship, you're going, man, I just don't know. And it's abusive, it's destructive. God wants what's best for you, he doesn't want that. Stand up. How about if God is calling you the other way, some of you are on the fence in a relationship, on the fence in your marriage. Divorce is an option. What if right now you go, I'm getting off the fence. I'm going all in. I'm jumping all in for my marriage today. I'm saying I'm all in from this day forward. Stand up. How about for those of you to make a spiritual commitment, you're just wavering around, do I go on the women's retreat? Do I go on the men's retreat? Do I sign up for a small group? Do I lead it? Say yes, get off the fence. Say yes, I'm gonna stand for him to say, I'm gonna put my spiritual life front and center rather than Jesus gets leftovers. How about you stand up right now? I'll do, uh, I'll do one more. You heard today and you saw today Team World Vision. There were people that stepped forward and stood up and said, I'll raise money for clean water. 
You saw an Amor team that said, I'll step forward and go to Mexico and build a house for the sake of others and run a half marathon or a marathon or bike a century for the sake of others. How about stand up if you're saying today, I'm going to Amor next year. I'm doing Team World Vision next year for the sake of, stand up right where you are. So just right here, right now, let me pray. Close your eyes. Father, as we sing this song, we commit ourselves to stand for you, to step forward with courage. Oh God, in your grace, would you meet each person who's standing? Would you mark their heart? Would you mark them spiritually, relationally, emotionally? And would you do the work of healing and transformation? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up too. We'll just have a time of prayer during the song if God's calling you to come.
It's about turning away from those things that keep us dead in our spirits, dead in our relationships, dead in our lives, dead to our lives. He did not come and die and raise again so that we can live this life where we're just surviving, where we are just letting life happen to us. It's all those things that John talked about. Let's stand up to our life. Let's move forward into life with him. Let's say yes. Death did not hold you in the grave and it's not gonna hold me in the grave. That's what we're here to say and declare. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? Let's sing this together. Death was never gonna hold him, so it is not gonna hold me today, now, here, right now. This is the time to make that choice. Let's sing it out. Here we go. Oh, yes, we say death was never gonna hold you, so it's never gonna
As we send you out this morning, just a reminder that uh, you should have gotten a text message this morning with the Easter invite logo. We sent that to you this morning because we want you to send that out to 10 family or friends to invite them to join us on Easter Sunday. If you didn't get that text, there's a QR code in your program that you can use for the Easter text, and that'll come up on your phone. You use a camera for those of you over 60. The QR code, you use a camera, and it comes up, and you do it that way. So. Um, we want to be an inviting community, and God's called you to be an inviter. And so we hope that you'll partner with us and uh, invite your family and friends to join us on Easter at 9 or 11. Also, we hope that you'll serve at one and worship at the other. We have a lot of uh, needs for volunteers. If you can do that, let us know. We like to say from our hearts, God is good all the time. He's bigger and he's better than you think. As we leave this morning, let's leave in silence. You can talk out in the courtyard. The worship team's going to sing another song or two if you want to stay and keep worshiping. The prayer team will be here too. Otherwise, let's leave in silence until we get out into the uh, foyer. Thank you. God bless you.